So good to see you all again. It's been a long time, right? Since the AM service. It's, again, it's, it's so pleasant to be here and be amongst God's people and people that are concerned with spiritual things and to worship in spirit and in truth. And I appreciate you all so much for coming out and for being here and um, just prioritizing God. And that's what we're going to do for the next few minutes as I look as I open up the Word of God with you all, and I pray that you do that and, and open up your Bibles and be looking to determine whether or not the things that I'm saying are in accordance with the Scriptures. What we're going to be doing first is we're going to be looking in Luke chapter 1 and verse 50, if we could. Luke chapter 1 and verse 50. There we'll, we'll exposit some things of truth from the Word of God in just a moment. But before we start looking in Luke chapter 1 and verse 50, what I'd like to talk to you guys about is the future. Now, the future, it's something that we get very, very caught up in. I think people always have, you know, but especially in this culture. You can't even keep up to date with any of the technology. I mean, once you have the new cell phone, the new phone's out literally like the next day, it seems. There's all kinds of buzzing about these innovations that are coming. What's next? What's coming new? What's on the brink? Everybody wants to hear about this new thing that's coming. And... There always will be those things, and there always have been those things. You know, people for the longest time, they talked about things like flying cars. You know, what's that going to be like? There's not going to be nearly as much traffic problems. We're going to be able to just soar over the horizon and do whatever, you know, and, and, and that'll, be, that'll be great. And people talk about things like virtual reality, VR, and they talk about, you know, maybe I could like strap on this headset and I could, I don't, I don't even need to go on vacation. We've got lots of folks going on vacation, maybe even some now we have, um, and, and people are all over, you know. Uh, but with this kind of headset, you wouldn't need to do that. You could just travel anywhere you need to go. You, we think about things like artificial intelligence, things like you know robots. You never have to do a chore again, and it pretty much eliminate the, the necessity of having kids. I mean, they just take care of all your chores for you. You know what I mean? Uh, so we think about all these things, and we get kind of riled up, and we're like, man, the future's so exciting. All these things are coming up, and you know. As, as humans, we're working on these very kinds of technology that I've been discussing so far already today. We haven't quite perfected them, but they're right there on the horizon. And we know that just one day, as long as God allows the earth to still stand, that these things are going to be here. And we're all, when we think about that, we talk about that, we kind of get, we, we kind of feel that in our stomach, like we feel excited. And so naturally, being excited about the future, that kind of carries over to our our spiritual lives as well, and it carries over to our worship here in the church. We talk about the future of the church. How many of y'all have heard that prayer? Lord, please be with the young people of our congregation because they are the future of the church. Now, young people, I'm talking directly to you. I'm talking to my generation, just for a moment. Are you the future of the church? When you hear this prayer, we, Lord, we pray for the future of the church. Is this you? Is this where you fit in? I'd like to discuss about that. You know, there's lots of big things happening, especially with the youth here in this local work. Man, we had two young people baptized recently. We had Dylan and Landon baptized recently into Christ, and that's amazing. Before that, Timothy Ford was baptized. Before that, we had four baptized in the same night. We, that, that, that kind of stuff is amazing, and we do get excited. And we get excited because there is a great future on the horizon for the church and for God's people. However, I want to actually before I want to give a disclaimer. I want to say this about that prayer. Praying for the future of the church. That is an amazing prayer. It is amazing and so thoughtful 
to take the time to think of all the young people and to hope and to wish that they're going to grow up and blossom into strong, mature, and faithful Christians. That is so vitally important for us. But my fear is that when we pray this prayer, that we kind of isolate the younger people off from the the people that are currently adults and are mature and and are strong Christians and, and are established in their faith. And we kind of say, well, you know, they're the future of the church. Well, by the law of exclusion, what does that mean? That means that these people are not here in the church today. And while that may be a good sentiment and a good prayer to pray, and I think we should keep praying that, I think that we need to keep in mind that these young people, that that they're not the future of the church, that we're not the future of the church, that we're here now to serve the purpose of God in our generation. If we could look in that Luke passage, please. If we could look in that Luke, cha- Luke passage, please. There Mary, the mother of Jesus, sings this, this song of praise known as the Magnificat. And she had just heard the news that she was going to give birth to the Son of God. And what she said in this, there in verse 50 was, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And I know I've just said, I've directly called out people in my generation for this lesson. But I want to give a caveat. The things that I'm going to talk about are not to be tuned out for those that are not in my generation. You need to pay careful attention to these things as well. Because it's going to be your responsibility to model and to impress these elements upon the people of God that are coming up, that are here in the church today, that are young. And so, there's going to be plenty of application for you as well. In fact, after I'm done talking to my generation and giving these specific principles primarily to them, I'm going to give you some bonus points of application just as well. So, basically we read here that mercy of God is from generation to generation. Okay, and for who is that for? That is for those who fear Him. And fear of God is equivalent to reverence to God. You know, reverence to God is this trembling, this this earnest expectation of His promises and understanding and belief in His power. And when we have that, what does that do? That urges us on to action. That urges us on to, to do obedient things to God and to do the things that He'd want us to do. But us younger people, what do we do? We run into some obstacles, don't we? One of these such obstacles is... I give the excuse, basically, that I'm just a kid. And that's not going to cut it. I can't say I'm just a kid. Even though the temptation is there, and, you know, if I, if I remember high school, okay, not very long ago for me, and it was confusing because it's like you have to raise your hand to go to the bathroom, and yet you're also supposed to be independent and have your whole life figured out and have a job and this and that. I understand that. that it, it seems odd, okay? But... As a young person and as a young member of the church, you can't use the excuse of, man, I'm just still a kid. I'm still in high school. I'm still in college. I'm, you know, I'm in middle school or, or et cetera, et cetera. You can't say I'm still young and I'm still figuring out and just use that as an excuse to live any old kind of way that you want to. I understand that there's a period of growth that's necessary. I'm in it. Okay. I'm in it. I'm growing up now as a Christian. But that's the question. Are you growing up or are you just using I'm just a kid as like an excuse? Okay. There's, in the New Testament, there's not a single caveat and not a single disclaimer and not a single allowance that says, well, for the younger generation, you can get by with a little bit more sin or, you know, you can, you can slack off a little bit more in your faith and then wait till you hit a certain age and that's when you can jumpstart your growth. That's not found. If you turn with me in 1 Timothy to chapter 4, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and then in verse 12. 
First Timothy chapter 4 and then in verse 12. What does Paul say when he writes this letter to the young Timothy? He's a young evangelist, and he knows that he's going to run into these kind of obstacles and these potential to make these excuses. And so what does he say? He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So could Timothy actually prevent anyone from despising his youth? Literally, no. He could not stop someone from thinking, oh, he's just a kid. He couldn't literally do that. But what he could do is he could remove all of the potential excuses that they could have and the actions that they could point to of Timothy to say, see, he's just a dumb kid. And if he began to say this phrase here of, yeah, I'm just a kid right now. You know, it's, let my parents handle that. Let somebody, where's an adult? I need an adult. That's not going to cut it. Okay, because then people are going to start looking at Timothy and it's going to slowly whittle away at his example. And they're going to say, hey, he can't even think for himself. He can't do anything for himself. He's just a little baby. you know. And if that's the attitude we take as younger people in the faith, well, then that's how people are going to treat us. Oh, come here. Come here. Give me your hand. Come on. Okay, you're still a kid. Come on. If you're a Christian, it's time to start developing your own faith and walking on your own. And people should see this. Paul knew that, and he wanted Timothy to have a strong example as a Christian. And so that's why he told him to let no one despise your youth. Don't let anyone look at you and say, that's just a dumb kid. Okay? And that's what we need to do. And, and so that for, the, for parents and adults, that basically means that you should talk to your, your young Christian children in a way that treats them as responsible, accountable adults for their actions. Because if they're of an age of accountability and they can understand their relationship to God, then that's how you should talk to them. That's how you should treat them. You shouldn't be making excuses for them when they, when they sin and say, oh, he's just a kid, it's okay. It's not okay. I understand there's a period of growth. I get that again. But we, can, we must speak to our kids with the same urgency that we would talk to any erring brother or sister when they slip and when they fall. I know that there's a charge to bring up children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, and that's on the parents. But if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, you'll see that your parents, kids, they cannot get you into heaven. You know, sometimes when we mess up and we get our, you know, our, our car has an, a mistake on the road or something, it breaks down, or we get a speeding ticket, or we get in trouble, our parents come bail us out of it. They come and they go where we are and they pay it off, or they do this, or they do that, and they just make it go away. But when it comes down to whether or not you're going to have your entrance into heaven, parents cannot do that. Okay, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 5. So, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the, pr- the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what's your responsibility if you have you know, really faithful parents, but you're still kind of establishing your faith? Your responsibility is you look up to them, And you humble yourself and you say, you know what? There's a lot I can learn from them. There's a lot I can pick up from them. And I want that. And you have to choose that. And you have to take that responsibility. You know, you might have super spiritual parents. They might be here for every worship assembly. They might be so committed. They might drag you along to all those. They might center their minds on Jesus during the Lord's Supper. They might have amazing prayer lives. And they might study the Word diligently every day. And they might do all these things. But at the end of the day, that's not you. You have to develop your own faith. Okay? 
You can't expect your parents to, on the day of judgment, step in between you and God and say, whoa, 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 whoa. He's a good kid. She's, she's a good kid. You know, she, they tried their best. They really did. Which is what they'll want to do. But they cannot. Because in Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, it says that everyone's going to have to give an account for himself or herself. And that's you. That's just you. So, in Judges, turn to Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. Like I said, it's going to be up to you all to, to do and be subject to the things that, that you're, hopefully your parents are modeling to you. Okay, Judges chapter 2 and verse 7. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 7, we see that just because that one generation is really faithful doesn't necessarily mean that the next is going to follow. We've got in, in verse 7 here a very faithful generation. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work the Lord had done for Israel. Okay, but then you drop down to verse 10. And you see that we had a strong and faithful generation and they were doing awesome works for God, and they were building up, and, and people were so spiritual, and then it just didn't continue. In verse 10, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. Now, it, I do not believe that it's not the case that the generation in verse 7, I don't believe the generation in verse 7 did not teach the generation in verse 10 about God. I don't believe that for a second. They were faithful people. They were teaching their kids. But still the passage says that they did not know God. So how did that happen? How can we reconcile those things? Well, when it says that they did not know God, what that means is that they did not have a relationship with God. They did not do the things that they needed to do to ingrain God's truth into their lives and to walk after His ways. And as a result, they had forgotten Him. And they had not continued in the faith. And so, it's very obvious that just because your parents are faithful does not mean that you can expect to be faithful as well. So, if they're not serving God like they did, like the generation did before, to the young people, I ask, and that's a problem, to the young people here, I'm asking you. I'm talking directly to you, young people. When's the last time that you did something for God apart from here in this worship assembly, or apart from something your parents urged you to do. When was that? Do you remember? Can you come up right now with one? If not, you're in trouble. You're in trouble right now. You need to think about that. And you need to think about what you can be doing. Because if all you've got in the way of God and in, in, in your life is, well, I come to church. You think that's going to cut it? It's not going to cut it. I, I saw a sign on the way to the Crystal Church of Christ where I've preached in a couple meetings, or not meetings, in a couple just like fill-in slots, okay? And I've gone to, to meetings there and whatnot. And on the way, you see a sign uh, for some, some denominational church that says, God does not want weekend visitation. He wants soul custody. That's S-O-U-L. Okay, God does not want to be this like parent that can only see you on the weekends or when you come to church on Sunday or, or Wednesday night and then, oh, I haven't seen you in forever. It's so good to have you back. No, that's not the kind of relationship that you ought to have to God. Every day, every day is meant to be subject to the Lord, not just when we're here in the assembly. And so you got to have every day God in mind, doing and living your life for God. And that goes for all of us, but especially for us younger folks that are still establishing our faith and still getting in a rhythm. So the more you serve God, the more you're going to make your life about Him, and the more you're going to actually kind of start to develop your own faith. And then at that point, it's not going to be your parents' faith, 
and you can kind of let go of their hand and start walking on your own, it's going to be your own faith. And when you have that, you're going to stand so much stronger than before. When you can just say, I, I, it's just me. It's me and the Lord, no matter what. I could lose everything, and it's me and the Lord, and I'm going to keep serving and keep being faithful. And so what can you do? You say, well, Cain, you're talking about I need to develop my own faith, but what do I need to do? Just believe harder? No, there's actual practical application that's going to lead you to there. And the first thing that you can do is you can open up your Bibles. Okay? And when I'm saying this, I'm not saying you should read your Bible more. I'm saying right now, if in the in this assembly you're younger and you've been sitting there with your Bible closed or you haven't even pulled it out, open it. Because this is the time for you to look into the Word of God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Maybe you're sitting here and you're wondering... Man, why, like what, why can't I get more faith? Where does that come from? Number, first and foremost, if you can't even open your Bible here in the worship assembly, what, what, what's going on there? There's some sort of messed up priorities because that's what we're here to do. We're here to study the Word. And if I said something in error, you wouldn't even know. You need to look in the Word of God because that's where our faith comes from. There are countless stories of men slaying giants and, and these huge titans of faith like Peter and the Apostle Paul going through persecution and staying steadfast and suffering through those things. And if you're not studying on your own, these things are not being ingrained into you by your own will. You're just being dragged along through these stories. Get in the Word. Open up your Bibles. It's okay if you didn't open them at the beginning of this service. Open them now. Secondly, you can take some time to think about spiritual things. And that's another way you can grow your faith so it will be your own. And that's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, if you would. Let me see you turn in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Take some time. We could, You know what we could do? You know what I could do? I could wake up in the morning... At let's say 9 a.m. And I could fire up my iPhone and plug it into the wall. And sit there with a bag of Doritos on one side and some water or some Coke or something on the other side of me. And I could just sit there all day scrolling on Facebook infinitely. And I could occupy my whole day and spend my whole time doing that. I could sit there and Snapchat all my friends, text everybody. I could have a whole whirlwind of social experiences. I could go down YouTube and get to the weird parts and see, you know, cats trying to eat limes, okay? Like... I could do that all day. But at the end of the day, I will have accomplished nothing, especially for my faith. And I know that we spend a lot of time doing this useless stuff. A lot of us do. Not just the younger generation, but also the older generation as well now. And so what we need to do is we need to carve out time to consider our relationship to God. How are we doing in relation to all these things that are good, that are commendable, that are right and true? Where am I at? Am I living in that kind of way? If, if I've not completely given myself over, what more can I give? We need to be given time to thinking about that. Also, we need to be giving due diligence in the way of bearing up under suffering. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It's one of my favorite passages. And, and it's, it's a go-to for when you're suffering or when you're going through a trial or something. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Trials are meant to teach us and to build our faith. Not only that... But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
who has been given to us. You see, trials, they're meant for building up. If you're not putting yourself out there, you're not going a little bit outside of your comfort zone every day for God and making a sacrifice for God and doing things that aren't convenient, well, you're not growing. If you're not suffering, you're not growing. There's going to be growing pains in this whole Christianity thing. That's just the nature of it, okay? The point is to cleanse out the difficult parts and to accept that cleansing process. It says here that suffering makes us have more endurance. And that endurance builds up our character. And then when we have more character, we have hope because we know that we can withstand trials. And that that develops our own faith. Also, we can take action and we can serve. That means we can step out of our, our comfort zone in this way as well and we can physically serve someone else. We can go out of our way to do something. That could be spiritually. We could sit down and maybe have a Bible study with them about an issue they're confused about. We could... Uh, do physical things. We could help somebody clean up, help them mow their lawn, do this. Anything that anything that comes up where you could help, you can do it. And that what that's going to do is that's going to increase your faith. Why? Because you're going to notice and remember Jesus. Okay, Jesus was a servant, and as you become more of a servant, you become, as Josh talked about this morning, more Christ-like. As you live in His way, you become more like Him. But you have to do it. You have to actualize it. You can't just sit and think about it. And that's what you got to do. You, and that, that can be anything. Again, like I said, it can be. It doesn't have to be here in the worship assembly that you know you come forward and do a scripture reading or you lead a song. And that would be nice if you would. And you need to push your comfort zone about those things and come up and, and serve in those ways. But there's so much more that you can do out there. And you need to be looking for those opportunities as well to build your faith. So those are just four of many ways for the younger folks to really develop their own faith and to kind of step out of the shadow of their parents, per se, okay, and start grounding themselves and having some conviction in their lives. But, okay, once we develop our own faith, we'll be surprised because the actions that we take are going to have some amazing, amazing results that you you couldn't possibly believe. You can You can be a shining light, okay? You can be a shining light not sometime off in the near future, sometime right now. You can shine a beacon of light as we gather together here and worship God. Young people, they did amazing things again and again all throughout Scripture. There's so many examples, including like Samuel ministering to the Lord at a young age. We've got King Josiah taking the throne of Judah at age 8. We've got Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing faithful in a wicked and pagan society. You know, we've got the boy Jesus in the temple discussing spiritual things with the priest. And like we talked about earlier, we've got the young evangelist Timothy facing persecution and trials and suffering, all for the name of God. We've got countless examples of that. One example that I'd really like to talk about is in 1 Samuel 17. You'll turn with me to 1 Samuel 17 and we'll look in there. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 8, if you would. It's a tried and true story from the Old Testament. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 8. Here we have the the threat of Goliath. a, A towering, monstrous Philistine, a wicked pagan, threatening the armies of Israel and the armies of God. And he says, He stood up and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he will be your servants. 
then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So everyone's knocking their knees at this guy. He's a towering threat. He's terrifying. And they can just imagine in their heads if they went up to go fight him, just their own head getting lopped off, absolutely terrified, shaking in their boots. So of all these powerful, trained soldiers of Israel, who is it that steps up? It wasn't some 30-something in his prime wielding a big battle axe. It was a shepherd boy. He was a teenager. He was a kid who eventually became a king. That's David, okay? So he hits the Philistine square between the eyes with a stone. Look, drop down to verse 50. He hits the, the Philistine square between the eyes with a stone, and he drops him and wins against all odds, and he fells that giant, starting in verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistine as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistine fell on the way from Sharam as far as Gath and Ekron. Okay, they rose with a shout. We talked about the actions of David. But what I think is really important is to look at the result of his actions here. David's courage, it stirred up all the other men of Israel. And they did what they thought that they could not do. And they drove the Philistines out. That was all a result of one shepherd boy stepping up to that giant with a sling and tossing it in good faith. And so to the young people, I'm asking you, what do you think would have happened if David didn't step up? If they all stood there knocking their knees, what would have happened to the people of God? I don't know, but it wouldn't have been pretty. But all because of David stepping forward and acting out in faith and trusting in the Lord to preserve him, the the entire army drove out the Philistines. And that is absolutely amazing. So considering that, do you realize the great benefits of your stepping out in faith if you're young? You know, we see so much and we see so much encouraging reactions from the previous generations when my generation steps out and we do things. Even the smallest act of service. Come up, do a scripture reading. Everybody, appreciate that. We all appreciate that. You know, you, you come up, you serve on the Lord's table. I appreciate that. We appreciate seeing that. It encourages us. It stirs us up. Can you imagine the joy that would be on your parents' face if they opened your room to talk to you and they see you out there with the Word of God strewn before you and you're studying Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the joy that it would bring them? Do you know that everything that you do, be it small or large, good or bad, it has ripples. And it can either discourage or encourage all of us. And that you are useful to the kingdom. And that you right now, that you can be a shining light. And that you can show us Christ. And that we can, in our present generation, we can serve the purpose of God. You can be that shining example of zeal and growth long after your baptism. You know, I remember that night where those four were baptized. I remember that. And man, I like to cry. I think about it and I'd like to cry every time. I come close every time. And it just, to see that example, it encourages us so much. But then you think, 
That doesn't have to stop there. You don't have to stop stepping out in faith. One action can cause a domino effect again and again and again and again. And the more you act out in faith, especially in our generation, the more your positive example rubs off. It rubs off and people see that zeal. But the more you resist and the more you sit there apathetic, the more you murmur through every song, the more you elbow each other and talk to each other through the service, morale goes down. Faith goes down. It suffers. And so what we need to do is we need to bring it up. We need to ratchet up our faith and ratchet up our reverence for God so that we can be shining lights today. We can serve the purpose of God in our generation today. We can continue to serve and we can continue to work and we can continue to pray and we can continue to be living holy sacrifices to God just as we're supposed to and that we're called to. All right. So I've browbeaten my own self and my whole generation enough. So now, for the previous generation, the generation before that, I've got a few takeaways for you as well. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you would. I made the point clearly as I can that we, being young Christians here in the church, that, that we're, not, we're not the future. We're the present. We're here now. Okay? And knowing that, there's some application for you guys as well. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 6 through 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We're going to need you. We're going to need your help. As much as it is hard for us to admit it, us teenagers and us young adults, as much as it is hard for us to just buckle down and say, I need y'all. I I do need help. We do. We need your encouragement. And we need your encouragement in several ways. First and foremost, we're going to need you to regard us as being presently accountable for our sin and talk to us in a way that is not permissive of that sin. To treat us as adults and to encourage us on to get out of our comfort zone and not make excuses like, well, he's just a kid. It's not time. He's just a kid. We need to push those boundaries. And I'm not saying you need to come, you need to tell your kid, if you don't get up and you don't preach a sermon, then get out. I'm not saying that. I'm saying... Within their ability, get them out of their comfort zone. Don't get them out of their capability zone, but encourage them out of their comfort zone to do the things that are right. And don't just treat them like a kid. If they've obeyed the gospel, they're ready to serve, to serve God. We're going to need you to, to be treating us as though we're presently available. And we're going to need you to give us those opportunities to serve. We're going to need you to make that easy for us and take all the obstacles out of the way of, well, I would do this and this is my excuse and this is my excuse. No, no, no. Well, well I'll, I'll, I'll just step out of the way for you. I'll give you, I'll give you the path to serve. I want you to do that and, I, I, and, and, and encourage that to me. And I know what I'm asking for here. Uh, hopefully not out in the foyer. Everybody's like, well, are you going to mow my lawn or are you going to help me uh, put this thing up? Are you, you cook dinner for us? Like, I, I know what I'm doing here, okay, guys? So take it easy on me, all right? But I'm saying give us opportunities. Give us opportunities to be plugged in and be involved and give service. Because that's what we're here to do on earth, isn't it? First and foremost, to love God and serve Him. Secondly, to serve our fellow man and love them. Most importantly, though, I want you all to know that, that we need you as examples. Because, again, whether we like to admit it or not, we're looking at you. We're looking at you for, to know what, what is the way that is right. And there are s- several obstacles we can hit when we see that 
hypocrisy and that error in, in the previous generation is we can say, well, so-and-so does it, so I guess it's okay. And, and we, cannot, we cannot fall into that, guys. We have to leave no unguarded place. And, and you as the generation before me and as the generation even before that, I want you to know that I need you. I need your example. And you guys encourage me so much when you do what is right. But when I, when I see people slipping, it hurts me. It hurts me a lot. And I, so I want us to ratchet that up as best as we can and, and, and gird ourselves up to the best of our ability. We're watching you. And we want your example. We want your encouragement. And please, please do give that, even when it's hard. It's hard for you. It's hard for us sometimes. But we need to hear those things. We need to be encouraged by you. And we need to see what real Christianity looks like. So we need you to remind us that, that basically we're not waiting for some day to dawn one day. That we're not waiting for age 25 or 30 or 35 or whatever to become who we need to become. We need to be aware that no matter what generation we are, young, old, whatever, that we are all recipients of Christ's blood if we are in Christ. And that we have received the remission of our sins through Him who gave His life, who bled and died for us. And if that's the case, and we've heard that gospel, and we've believed that gospel, and if we've repented of our sins, and that we've confessed our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, and that we've been baptized and buried with Him in death and risen to walk in newness of life, having our sins washed away, that we are not... Christians in the future. We're Christians right here, right now, in the present, with all the opportunity in the world to serve God now. To be here now. So our generation, we're not the future. We are not the future. I cannot iterate that enough. We're the present. And I don't know about all y'all, but I want to be. I love it. I love this opportunity. And I cannot thank God enough for it. And I hope that you all will as well. So, it may be, though, that you actually aren't the president of the church. What it may be is, it might be that you're not a member of the church at all. Perhaps you have not given your life to God. Perhaps you've not been baptized for the remission of your sins. And if that's the case, then I'd hope that you can say that I'm the very near future of the church. I'm the future of the church as soon as this invitation song is sung. Because guess what's about to happen? We're about to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to stand right over here. I'm going to have my hymn book in my hand, but I'm going to be looking up for people to walk down the aisle and to to come. And what we'll do is we'll sit. And if we need to, we'll talk with you. And we'll explain more clearly the Word of God if you have any questions. And and if, if you're ready to be baptized, if you understand that you're accountable for sin, and if you want to become the future of the church, we can baptize you. And then when you'll come out of that water, you'll be in the church now. The Lord will add you to the body of Christ and you will be presently a member of God's kingdom wherein you will receive the remission of sins and you will be made completely new, washed whiter than snow and made whole, restored to your purpose so that you can serve the purpose of God in your generation. If there's anything that we can do to help you, now's the time to come forward as we stand and as we sing.